I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Biff, bam, how? Let's take a trip down to the Batcave for Batman Land. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. A weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week we're joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him now. Where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. Let's go! When I'm not impressing the ladies on the dance floor with a finely choreographed Batuzi, I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. Just like the Catwoman, my co-host has a cast and a full cream milk on her rider. I'm joined by Fiona Williams, a fellow editor here at SBS. Fiona, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Just like Catwoman. Just like. Now, we don't do this alone. We have a guest each and every week. We're joined here, and I'm excited by this one, unlike the rest of them. I mean, those guys. <laughs> We've got Blake Howard. Now, Blake is a film writer, um, commentator around the place. You may have heard him on TV. I've seen him on TV before, once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. Yeah. But you're probably best known by me as a Batman fan. Yes, my Twitter handle is at BlakeIsBatman. I am a Batman diehard fan. Now, I'm concerned by your handle because you are Blake is Batman. Like, it just seems like there's a self-identification happening that just seems a little bit concerning. Look, I think if anyone is going to understand why one would want to be Batman, it's you, Dan Barrett, you billionaire <laughs> playboy, you, and Fiona, who is your <laughs> lovely co-host today because you see the bright night, you see Adam West, you see my Batman, you're talking, this is a podcast I was born to be a guest on and you would know that <laughs> he is a moral compass if anyone is a moral compass, uh, even though he delivers lines with the Zucker brothers perfection of Leslie Nielsen in like a naked gun movie, he was my Batman. This is, you know, I don't have Jesus, I have Batman. Yeah, I mean, he's not just a Batman, he's the Batman. Yeah. Absolutely agree. What a thrill this is, Batman. I followed your exploits for years. Nice meeting you too, Robin. But first up, we are going to talk about this week's episode of Batman. We've got two episodes, both Catwoman-centric. The very first appearance of Catwoman as a proper character on the show. I think we saw her picture in an earlier episode. There was a glimpse, yeah, yeah. but this is full Catwoman episodes. Yeah, yeah this is full-on Catwoman this is two episodes, The Perfect Crime, and that's Perfect Crime. Um, and that's March 16th. No, do that again. Oh, no. I, don't, I don't need to hear that again. <laughs> Perfect. And that went to air initially in 1966 on the 16th of March. And then a second episode, Better Luck Next Time, which went to air the day after on the 17th of March, also in 1966, interestingly enough. Uh, this episode, it opens up in the Gotham City Art Museum. And there's a bit of a theft taking place of a little kitty cat. A kitten. Yeah, it's a uh, quintessential Catwoman moment, if you like. There's a, a cat statue, an affinity she has to steal <laughs> things that are shaped like cats, I guess, um, uh, in a glass case. And she uses her awesome claws to go and cut a hole in the glass, but first testing it with a hammer, which you should do, and steals it away. And it just happens to be one of a pair of two golden kitty cats. And there we go. We we see Julie Newmar, the first of three actresses playing Catwoman. I know that Batman and Robin will swallow the bait. And when they do, I'll be rid of that dynamic duo once and for all. And then there's a legend about a pirate's treasure comes yes. into this as well. But the scene is set for a classic game of cat and mouse uh, as Batman squares off against the Catwoman. That was worth waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> I did have more about the art, but it's fine. Now, this episode is actually notable for the only time we get to see Commissioner Gordon's assistant, his secretary, Bonnie. 
Now, we hear of her a lot throughout the series. I don't know if we've heard her name before this episode, but as far as I, I knew, that she was Bonnie. one of these characters like, say, Jenny Piccolo in Happy Days, <laughs> of whom gets mentioned by name, but never actually gets seen in a show. I've Bob- never had that thought in Happy Days, Dan. You've just taken me back, but what, yes. What about Bob Sacramento from Seinfeld? Oh, Bob Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the perfect one. Okay, okay. done. Done. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah look, so we see Bonnie, uncredited, so we don't know who that actress was. We see an uncredited Bonnie. We see Commissioner Gordon having come back from the mayor's office, like, and, and it feels like... One of the first times, like, he feels like he's had a rollicking good talking to with the mayor as well. He's really enthusiastic about the, the fact that he's talked to the mayor. We so do you think it's one of these things where Commissioner Gordon's gone into this meeting, the mayor's maybe suggested that he hasn't really done a very good job, that maybe he's being let down by his staff? Chief O'Hara. <laughs> no, thank you, Chief O'Hara. I certainly don't mean to cast any aspersions on the police department. This time, I think Robin and I better go it alone. And so he sort of, you know, tried to prop himself up and coming back energised and he's trying to just do the right thing and get everyone on board. I think that Commissioner Gordon in a meeting would be like David Brent in a meeting. I don't think it's possible <laughs> that he could feel like it ever went badly. I think it would always be, I nailed that. I absolutely nailed that with the mayor. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting again because he just goes, mm, I don't know about this. She's pretty dangerous. I'm going to call in Batman again, which is a huge surprise that he would call in Batman again, <laughs> which is every single episode of <laughs> this his point. MO That's his MO, right? Yeah. Although it's usually Chief O'Hara that suggests that they call in Batman. Mm. To mask his own incompetence. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon does say he smells the tracks of a feline predator. So yeah, he, he, does, he sees a bit <laughs> of. And a he even emerging. does that breathing in, yeah. which is added creepy. Yep. Now, Fiona, you're yes. a bright woman. I assume that you partake in some very bright activities around a place, like playing chess. I've never played chess with you, but I assume you're a master. Oh, well, thanks for that. Um, yeah, but not to the extent of one Bruce Wayne and young Dick. Yeah, four-level chess. Absolutely. Four-level chess. That's Who knew it skills. even existed? Yeah, I mean, does it exist? Well, I never really see things like this existing outside of 1960s (laughs) drama series. So, (laughs) Star Trek's really known for their three dimensional chess. And then, yeah, you've got this in Batman, which I've never seen this before in my life. I don't know if I'm not hanging it, like attending the right Mensa meetings. (laughs) Is this the problem? Probably. I think that's probably where they're going off to a couple of times when the bat phone rings. Probably, you know, quadruple decker chess. I just want to know, because Catwoman, like, she was created in 1940. She first appeared in the Batman comics. Um, I think she's in, like, Batman issue one. Batman issue number one. Yeah. And she's credited to be created by Bill Finger, who's now the co-creator of the, the Batman universe. I mean, so, always was, but now credited. Yeah, finally yeah. credited, um, created the Batman universe. So she's there, and they always pitched her as a perfect formidable foe for Batman. So a, a woman who was his equal. And I think that it just kind of goes out of its way in this particular episode, even with the, like the four chess, even with reading the same history books, even all that sort of stuff. Like this is an intellectual battle. Mm. And from the very beginning, you see this four layer chess, you're like, this is weird. This is going to be a complex game. And you feel like, I mean, Adam West's Batman doesn't even feel like he's good at this four layers of chess. Like he did no, Neither of them feel like they're actually competent players of this quadruple chess game that's happening at the same time. It's actually quite rudimentary, Dick. You just have to think 14 moves ahead, that's all. Holy Roshevsky! Gosh, Bruce, I think I'll just stick to Latin crossword puzzles. <laughs> 
I kind of like in this episode, there isn't really the sexual tension simmering between Batman and Catwoman, yeah. purely because yeah. I do like Catwoman more as someone of whom is a equal to a certain degree. And when you yes. add in that layer of sexuality, it just sort of seems like it takes away from them as um, intellectual equals and just adds something else into the mix, which he obviously doesn't have with any of the others, like villains that are supposed to be um, of equal sort of intellectual stature. Yeah, I mean, look, Adam West has kind of got that appeal. That's the the fun of his character around and you see that you've got characters like in later iterations you've got like Poison Ivy and all of the the female sidekicks who sort of fawn over Batman to a certain extent and but Robin yet, and Dick Aunt Harriet is there to stop those sorts of things from happening <laughs> is she ever <laughs> is she ever oh don't get me started about her playing with a cat in this episode um, but yeah that's what I love about this particular cat one even though it's sort of so brilliantly over the top uh, she she's only there for the game. Yeah. She's there for the game. There's nothing else that's going to happen here. She's only there for the game. That's what matters. And I, for me, it also stands out. I think we've noted in other episodes that they always do explain the origins of why the girls turn bad. They had the bad childhoods and they always go off to the Wayne home for naughty girls to get rehabilitated. But here it's, she just is and she's she's out there for the, for the thrill of the chase. Yeah. I really like when she's introduced into this, the way that they film her entrance. She comes mm. in from the dark, she's got her whip and, and like it's a real sort of impressive entrance yeah. in a way that I don't think we've seen from another villain on this show in quite the same way. And I love that you only are kind of introduced to her like literally yeah. in part, you see a hand just entering the screen from the uh, the right of your screen. You see her hand come through, you see the whip come through, you see her kind of Simpsons crazy cat lady cat throw that yeah. um, takes down a security guard. Um, but that that whole entrance now as familiar Batman fans, you're like, oh, it's the Catwoman. I wonder, but I wonder because I saw it, I feel like I never didn't have a memory that there was a Catwoman in existence, but I wonder what, what it would have been like in 66 in March watching and going, oh my God, that's the Catwoman. I read about her in comics my whole life and here she is finally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In preparation for this episode, I was reading a lot of message boards around the place, both things dedicated towards the Batman show, as well as just like the IMDB comments and that kind of thing. And there seems to be a went certain... down a rabbit hole. Uh, you went a... down a bottomless pit, just like Catwoman at the end of this episode, man. <laughs> very much so. We will get to that. I've got very big <laughs> notes I want to make there. But the one thing that I really found was there was a particular type of person commenting and you could tell that these were men who were maybe children when they first saw Julie Newmar on screen as the Catwoman mm. back in the 60s. And I've definitely got some very strong feelings towards the <laughs> Julie Newmar character. Yeah. And it's a very specific tone that you wouldn't find with any other generation. It's, yeah. It's, I'm very I think she's encountered that all her life. And I think, yeah. you know, she yeah. takes it with gentle good humour. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think people have been coming up to her on the street and just telling her she was the object of their sexual fantasies for yeah. and time immemorial. Forever. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just like, can we just, can we just call it, guys? Like, yeah. seriously, just leave poor, like, isn't it enough that she was that gorgeous and now she's immortalised on beautiful, you know, Technicolor. Can't we just leave the woman alone mm. on a message board, for God's sake? Yeah. Now, she is one of three women to play Catwoman. Yes. So we see her for the first and second seasons of this program. Uh, you've got in the movie, you had uh, Lee Merriweather Lee playing Merriweather. Catwoman. Yep. And then in the third season, Eartha I don't think Kit. you might pick up, like, comes into it again, but Eartha Kitt does play Catwoman in at least one episode. I'm not sure. Yeah, she's only along for the third season, Eartha, yeah. which is like mind boggling. Like it's a mind boggling piece of casting when you look at it. <laughs> this is like a complete hyper politicized figure in the entertainment industry and they bring her into prime time technicolor on what is essentially built to be a kid's show um, or 
maybe at the time what um, Bill Dozier, who's the executive producer of the show and the awesome narrator, um, I wish he narrated my life, but if uh, you imagine that that's such a subversive thing for him to do to hire her to play Catwoman in that third Eartha season. Kit. Yeah, yeah. Eartha, sorry, um, Eartha, Eartha Kitt. But um, so, yeah, Lee Merriweather is only in for the film. And Julie Newmar is, yeah, the first, first and, and sec- second series. First and second series. And then um, Eartha. It's strange. I, I mean, other than the fact that it's awesome, it's really strange that she didn't keep going because she's such an iconic. Like, you can, if you just put her up next to Anne Hathaway in, as far as costume design, it's like, <laughs> Exactly the same. I was struck again. Like it's exactly the same costume design, almost to the to the letter. What's really strange is that she only makes one appearance in the first season. So she has the like image that you see in that mm-hmm. second or third episode. But then we only get the actual one pair of Catwoman episodes. And you could sort of say, well, you know, there aren't that many episodes. They get through a lot of villains. But the Joker's in it, I think, two or three times in a season. Mm-hmm. The Riddler makes four appearances. Yes. But there's no reason we shouldn't yeah. have seen Catwoman more than once. Yeah, we're midway now, and we've had a we've had a couple of Jokers, and um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a testament to her. She's such a good character. I'd like that some of the other characters, especially in this series, feel a little bit more compatible. Like they come in and they have these begrudging relationships and friendships sort of thing. You see them or maybe they're in a – I mean, there's a notable episode in the later of the series where there's like the entire rogues gallery is all in a prison yard together and we'll eventually get to that in the podcast. (laughs) You'll get to that. I'm looking forward to that episode actually to listen. (laughs) Um, But I like – I think it's – they're giving her a pedestal in this episode, which is awesome. Like this is the Catwoman. She is a formidable foe. If it was only that she wasn't greedy, she had fooled – she'd fooled Batman. She'd gotten away scot-free with some treasure. It was just that she was a little bit too greedy and had to jump over too large a chasm with too heavy a bag too heavy a bag <laughs> <laughs> the like the annoying thing though is that we had to sit through like a zelda the great before we got to catwoman oh, yes zelda's your go-to yes. knocking villain for obvious reasons yeah. I, Come she on. wasn't ideal <laughs> she's <laughs> no catwoman she wasn't ideal <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there's a few things we probably need to talk about with this episode. Absolutely. Um, so I thought there was a really interesting note where one of the henchmen, uh, I think it was Leo talking to Felix, and he was really just annoyed that they go out there and they steal these things, but she refuses to actually sell the stolen statue of the, statue of the cut. Yes, yeah, because yeah. they want a cut. They do. I mean, it's clear. The, yeah. the remaining alive person wants it, and, uh, and he wants a cut. He's like, great. A share that we can have together towards <laughs> the end of the episode. <laughs> can he say that any more times? It's like he's baiting her to, to yeah. double cross him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Share, share, yeah. please. Two of us, remember. Um, oh, Leo. In terms of her performance, Leo. I thought it's kind of cool that she plays Catwoman as so slightly unhinged. So when Cesar Romero in the first episode of that particularly, and then a little less so sort of as it goes on, he really comes out there as this real sort of shaggy villain of whom you don't really understand his... Like, he's not really a cartoon character. Rather, it kind of felt like he's actually this crazy man in a clown outfit. Mm. And she's kind of the same. Like, you don't really quite understand exactly where she's coming from or what her deal is because she really seems like she's slightly a lunatic. Yeah. Uh, oh, but totally controlled in the controlled, way she does but it like, as well. there's a madness behind her. Yeah, I think there's. I think it's more manipulative. I, mm. I like what Fiona was saying. Is she emerges as this completely whole thing? There's no backstory. She's not broken. She's com- mm. she's completely there, and she just wants to play the game. And she feels like she would take Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne to town if she was playing that quadruple chess game because she's all over it. Like mm. they, they find a lot of difficulty keeping up, keeping abreast of what she's actually doing. Yeah, yeah. she's thinking multiple moves ahead, yeah, multiple, multiple rows up. Yes. Well, much like when you're playing 4D chess, you've got to think 14 <laughs> moves ahead. Exactly. Yeah. She's in the second volume of the history of Gotham <laughs> yeah, City. Yeah. She's already there. 
She doesn't need to go to the bat shelf. Can we talk about same cat time, same cat channel? Wasn't that just a lovely touch? (laughs) That was just so good. That was a nice surprise. Look, I mean, that's very charming. More surprising, though, is the um, heavily innuendo-laced moment where Felix is forced to brush down Catwoman's pussy willows. And is that a thing that you do with pussy willows? Uh, look, I'm not, I don't pertain to be an expert about anything, but definitely not the pussy willow. So I'm going to flick past this over to Fiona. Yeah, and say I'm going to flick it right back. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I know that he's going to treat them as though he was his very own, but... I mean, look, in the 60s, they must have had a, a, an innuendo quotient, I imagine. So I think that that's just one of those things. They have to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, bear in mind that at some point she does say... You can brush my pussy willows before you leave. And don't go against the fur. <laughs> All right. Um, can we talk about a Batman stuntman actually like pouring at a fully grown tiger in this? <laughs> can we talk about, again, I know you guys have talked about it on the show and this is one thing I love the appreciation of of the Batman Land podcast, but it's there is so much production quality in this entire show and particularly in this episode because you think of some of the great sort of museum layouts. You've obviously got the Batcave here. You've got Catwoman's lair and then this pirate's lair which seems like a labyrinthine sort of place. Mm. But there is a real tiger jumping around with like a stuntman who's pouring at it like Mike Tyson pours at his own white tiger that's been going viral this week. It is amazing. And it's for a good couple of minutes as well. So before he realises, actually, I can go up the walls. But no, (laughs) it's going on and it's quite a dramatic moment. And you can imagine an alternate reality where we're pouring through the like trivia associated with the episode and find out that a stuntman had been mauled to death by a tiger on the set of the show. Yes. You can imagine that happening. Absolutely. Thankfully it didn't. Like everyone <laughs> came out of it okay as far as I'm aware. Yes. But yeah, like it's a real scene where he's walking around this tiger and it goes for ages. He's just there. Yeah. Nah. And there's no... Uh Paul Greengrass born supremacy cutting to make <laughs> this more tense or exciting. This is just... We are just staging it in mm. 4-3, looking at a guy paw at a tiger, and it's kind of flicking around Batman. It's, it's an amazing scene. And don't forget, like, in the next episode, after they cut the, you know, same cat time, same cat channel, there's more tiger action. Yes. And yeah. there's actually scenes where, like, they're fighting over the top of this tiger pit, and, like, routinely you're looking over their shoulder and seeing them looking down at these tigers. They really had a tiger budget on this one. <laughs> yeah. A tiger budget. I want to see the spreadsheet that has the line on the tiger budget. And also they do some great reaction shots. I want to say cat reaction shots, but like they do where the tiger sort of looks up and licks its licks mm. its jowls and you're like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Um, but, yeah. It's all the catnip they were putting over the top of Robin. I didn't really like how she – that, was, that yeah. was one step too far. When Catwoman enjoys catnip, I'm not in. Milk is where I draw the line. <laughs> I do love the bit where Batman is running to help out Robin in that labyrinth of, um, you know, tunnel area where he's running through. And there's a bit where he's not sure which way to go next. And there's this great moment where Batman's sort of standing there and you just sort of see him front on. And he's actively making a decision to go left or right or right. And he's doing it for like about 10 seconds on screen. It's way too long to be making that decision-making <laughs> process, Batman. I think they just even further wanted to show how outmatched he was. Look, And this episode, this is what I love about 66 Batman going back through it is you just see as much as you hit the 80s and Frank Miller sort of reignited the comic book world with dark interpretations of Batman and you see Tim Burton go on and then sort of take some of those projections into the cinema, every single one of them owes a massive debt 
to this show for mm. the things that they take from it. Like, and to, in this particular episode, in the second episode, which is um, Better Luck Next Time, you see Batman move a great. Now, I know that for some people that might not be interesting, but anyone who's played the Arkham games, like your entire <laughs> game is moving greats. And I feel like I looked at it, I'm like, this is the first time Batman opens a grate and uses his batarang to fling out of there and attack someone. I'm like, that's the whole Arkham game right now. It's in this episode. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, this is another one of those things where I was just looking at it going, oh, my God, people who've made Batman have loved and lived and died by this show. I really like the sequence where Batman and Robin approach the fur company, which is the hideout for Catwoman. And it's called the Gato and Chat Fur Company. And it's the moment where Batman points out there's the languages involved. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Robin indulges in a little bit of Spanglish as well. Lots of Spanglish. It's beautiful. CC Batman, what do we do now? I also love that in that scene you get Spanglish, but you also get like Return of the Jedi, Emperor Lightning about 10 years before George Lucas does it <laughs> and it's coming out of an antenna on the bat- on the Batmobile to open up the door. It's incredible. Again, how much would that have cost in 1966? It's a special effect. <laughs> One of the great special effects, although maybe a sound effect, is when Stunt Batman is fighting off the tiger. To get the tiger to go into submission, he ends up having to increase the audio modulation on his um, communicator device to 20,000 decibels. And it kind of got me thinking about Batman, maybe not so much as Bruce Wayne Batman, but maybe think about him as the Don Cheadle character from Boogie Nights. This is high five, okay? High fidelity. You know what that means? That means this is the highest quality fidelity. High five. Those are two very important things to have in the stereo system. Yeah. And so, of course, that gives Tinkerbell a terrible headache and he's able to get away. We need to call out the stuntman. His name is Hubie Kearns. Okay. And his <laughs> That's son, not a real name. His name is Hubie Kearns. He was a stuntman in the 60s. And his son, Hubie Kearns Jr., was actually like a second assistant director on things like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So like, a, you know, a, a sort of classic Hollywood sort of um, a lineage there, if you like. He went on dynasty. to do some cool stuff. Bit of a mm. dynasty. But Hubie Kearns, like, so Adam West obviously does so much of his own stunts because there are no stunts in this show. <laughs> um, let's be fair. Uh, but Hubie Kearns is the guy like who got the tap on the shoulder to fight a tiger is that this is the guy hubie kearns don't forget and what is there a more 60s american stuntman name than hubie kearns <laughs> and speaking of our just recent boogie nights quote i think i think it goes perfectly hubie kearns hubie kearns <laughs> Um, my firstborn will be Hubie Kearns. <laughs> now, right at the end of the episode, we do have Catwoman escaping from Batman and Robin through some catacombs away from... Uh, like, it sort of felt a bit like the Batcave, but not quite. Mm. It's definitely mm. a different part of town. But she ends up jumping across this pit, which Batman claims is bottomless, but actually seems to have had a bottom in some way. But Catwoman disappears. Like, she won't, like, give up her bag of loot. So she ends up holding on to that as she falls possibly to her death, never to be seen from again until the Batman movie in a few weeks' time. Uh, I thought it was a little bit bleak. It was really bleak. It's mm. probably the darkest and most definitive end until maybe the, the studio note or something is you imagine going, there's a movie. She has to come back. Like you have that. That pit can't have been bottomless. But I've gotten feel, a lot of letters. <laughs> I feel like well, they they went there. It's though. slightly darker in the first episode where the Riddler's henchman woman uh, Molly yes. ends up falling to her death falls in the death. Bat, uh, nuclear reactor. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they do tack on a little bit of a. Is that Catwoman 
clutching Aunt Harriet towards the end as yes. she come back. That that thieving cat that's in the Wayne household has yes. has I, Catwoman found another way to come back. That cat, I love the joke right at the end of this, which is pretty much the joke that I think we've been waiting for watching this week in, week out, which is that they joke that maybe the cat came from a broken home, much like every woman on the Batman TV show. And much like now. Bruce Wayne. Like Bruce well, Wayne's, yeah. the, 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 this typical billionaire playboy is from a broken home as well. So I think that that's the... And the cat's got a diamond, a diamond collar on. It's just beautiful. It's so, so lovely at the end of this episode to have that. Okay, now, Blake, you love Batman. I, I think do. this is a well-established fact at this point within the podcast. Yes. So ordinarily, I just ask, who is your Batman? But because you are so across Batman, I think that just seems a little bit redundant because you've said it's Adam West, but in a sense, it's all of them. It is. Okay, so I'm going to hit you cross media, okay, as to your favorite thing with each time. Okay, so in terms of TV series, I mean, it's really only 1966 Batman. Well, there's the Batman animated series. Well, I was going to say in terms of live action. Live action, yep. But animated, there's so many Batman cartoons over the years. Is like the animated series, TAS, is that your go-to? Or are there others? Yeah, the animated series and probably Batman the Mask of Phantasm, which is the movie... Uh, length sort of episode that came out of the animated series that is just outstanding if you haven't seen it probably one of the best comic book adaptions of all time it's definitely the best batman movie it arguably i'm gonna say the dark knight goes up there and i'm gonna say probably rises is pretty close for me because to follow up a batman movie after the dark knight and have the problem of no heath ledger and deliver what they delivered i'm gonna always back those two films and I don't know how many people in the studio have showed you Batman tattoos, Dan and Fiona. Can I show you Batman tattoos? I'm not taking off my pants, but just to take off my arm is um, I'm showing you a Bane tattoo on my arm. It certainly is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I love Rises. I love Bane. I love uh, the, the, those films so much. But, yeah, let's keep going across. Yeah, of course, that photo, that photo of his arm will be on the website. So go to this podcast. So check that out. Um, okay, so cartoon, the animated series, yes. TV show, Adam West, Absolutely. Six, Batman, movies. Uh, look, the Dark Knight. I, I would say the the Dark Knight probably as a, as a whole film, I would say is kind of peerless for me. But uh, when I think about Batman, there's something that is undeniable about Michael Keaton for me, just because it's so left of center. This is a guy who's like a comedian who sort of gets people, and uh, his take on this guy was that he was completely insane. Like this is a person to get up every night, eat by yourself, have no relationships. You're a kind of nutbag. And I actually really think it's one of the more interesting performances because he's just so out there. Um, The Affleck is a, you know, Christian Bale, I think he's phenomenal. I think Affleck does a fantastic job. It's probably one of his better performances in his career as Batman because it's that kind of playboy James Bond version of Batman. But yeah, that's but Keaton. I you know, there's a black turtleneck. You can't go wrong with a black turtleneck, (laughs) Batman. Love the turtleneck. Um, And comics. I'm going to go controversial. My favorite Batman comic is actually when they killed Bruce Wayne in a story run by Grant Morrison, um, which he sort of had this all star Batman and Robin, which is Damian Wayne, which is. Bruce Wayne's son and Dick Grayson, who grows up and has become Nightwing in the universe of the comics, and he inherits the mantle. So you get a fun Batman and a really moody shitbag. I don't know if I can say shitbag, but moody shitbag. (laughs) Moody shitbag Robin. Um, And it changes the dynamic and it actually feels a little bit funner and lighter because he's he sort of 
playful and it re- reminiscent of that. And I, I love that legacy um, because the Bruce Wayne living forever in the comic books, uh, especially if you're an enduring Batman fan, can sometimes be boring as batshit. So um, <laughs> I, I really loved that point of difference because it just went so – it started to talk about the cowl as a legacy. Yeah, that's a really good Dick Grayson as Batman comic called The Black Mirror, which yes. you can find in hardcover trade paperback. Fantastic. Yeah, very cool. Mm. Now, we do like to end every podcast with the lessons that we've learned from this week's Batman. Blake, I'm sure that you've probably learned quite a number of lessons, but if you could distill it down to one, what have you taken away from this week? I've learned that in 1966, you had a tiger budget. Um, that's that's <laughs> what I've learned. Uh, it's That's probably the, the most outstanding thing that I've learned in this entire uh, double episode. Fiona? I mean, for me, what hits home, just never drop the bag of loot. Don't worry. Just <laughs> <laughs> never drop your bag. Clutch it. It will work out okay. <laughs> You'll be back. You'll be back in the movie. (laughs) Exactly. Even if Mrs. Munster takes over your role. (laughs) Exactly. Look, the important lessons that I took away from, it was really about motorist safety. So I learned from Batman that you may be a few years away from driving, but when you do, you'll learn to always wear a seatbelt. And it doesn't matter if the place you're driving to is just a few blocks away, wear your seatbelt. Robin, you haven't fastened your safety bat belt. We're only going a couple of blocks. It won't be long until you're old enough to get a driver's license, Robin. And you'll be able to drive the Batmobile and other vehicles. Remember, motorist safety. Gosh, Batman, when you put it that way. (laughs) Okay, guys, thank you very much. This is the end of another Batman Land for another week. We'll be back next week, but Blake won't be with us. So, Blake, thank you very much for coming in. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. I am concerned we're going to record next week and just find you here waiting for us. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to use my cat claws. I'm going to cut through the studio glass and I'll be here. I'll be a permanent guest. <laughs> Fantastic. I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, people can find you on Twitter, but where? Uh, at Blake is Batman on Twitter. And if you enjoy movie podcasts that dive into great things from the past, if you can listen to One Heat Minute, which is my podcast at oneheatminute.com, where we're going through 170 minutes of Michael Mann's crime saga masterpiece, Heat, one minute at a time. Yeah. Uh, if people know the TV show Peep Show, there's this great moment where they're at the theatre and they're wondering why they're not at home watching on DVD the movie Heat because there's nothing really better than Heat. <laughs> and I think about that often when I'm at the theatre. But anyway, Fiona, you like movies. Um, you like Heat. It's true. You yes. like Heat? Yes. And I'm just sensing that maybe Blake should be talking to you about the Heat Minute at some oh, right. point. Thanks for doing yeah. the spade work there for me, yeah. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Quietly hinting. But Fiona, you're on the Twitter as well. Where do people find you? You can find me at anything but Fifi. Yep. And if people want to find me, I'm at the Dan Barrett. But folks, if you are talking about Batman Land on the Twitters, leave the hashtag Batman Land in your tweets because it helps people join the conversation, which is mostly me, but other people should join that conversation as well. It'd make me feel a lot better about life. Also, leave a review for this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app of choice. Helps other people find the show. And most importantly, gets the message of the bat out there. If you want to watch the show, you can find it on SBS Viceland every Friday night at 6.35pm or you can see catch-up episodes on SBS On Demand. And it's all there, I think, going back to the first episode. So give that a look. Folks, this has been Batman Land. Thank you very much to Blake and Fiona. And also a huge thanks to Jeremy, our producer, who I often forget to thank, but not this week, buddy. Thanks, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next week. TTFN. And what's that supposed to mean? Ta-ta for now.